This is Rudo Radio coming to you from the 559. Hello and welcome to Rudo Radio, SB Nation, and Cage Side Seats Weekly Wrestling Podcast. I am Nick Bond, joined as ever by Mr. Mark Normandon. Mark, how are you? I'm doing well today. And it's because we have a special guest. Woo, yay! Yeah, I didn't think of anything else to say, so we're just going to skip straight to introducing. Is it me? Oh man, it is. Oh Good wow, guess. awesome. Thank you. It is uh, David Roth of Vice Sports, uh, formerly The Classical. Uh, how are you, David? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, David and I have known each other for a couple of years uh, because of The Classical, and Mark and David have known each other for a couple of years because of SB Nation. You are not a wrestling fan per se, but because of me and a bunch of other people, you have been exposed to an almost unconscionable amount of wrestling. Is that fair to say? I would certainly say that it is almost unconscionable, and I would certainly say that I've been exposed to it. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. It's like if you got really into movies only by reading reviews of movies. That's exactly like, and, what and I also, thought of. And also, you'd never seen a movie, really. Like, you'd only <laughs> seen, like, a few minutes of it. <laughs> like, you're not sure how films work in terms of their construction, but you're like, oh, something happens. Yeah, it's I'm, great. Like, I'm like, oh, that's John Cusack. Like, I'm aware of who he is. I even have opinions on John Cusack. I just have only heard him say, like, ten words. <laughs> uh, all on Twitter, right? It's just the mad rantings of an yeah. 80s star. <laughs> it's like they, all, everything I've ever heard him say is about gluten. <laughs> Uh, so we wanted to start quickly, because uh, Mark and I had a hot debate last week on it, uh, mm-hmm. about, I-, I think so, we spent about 25 minutes talking about it, on the Women's Money in the Bank match and the subsequent rematch, which happened on Tuesday, which was excellent and part of a pretty good uh, suite of shows. Uh, I believe tonight, uh, we record this on Wednesday, tonight is the last woman standing match between Asuka and Nikki Cross, so it'll be three straight nights with women main eventing the show. Yeah, um, and men are equal now, because yeah, they have totally. three shows, so it's solved. Wait, does that mean that we can redo the 2016 election, or is that... <laughs> mm, you know, I already am getting screamed at by a lot of people uh, for politics today, so... Um... <laughs> Well, I mean, you did write something that was uh, about Joe Madden, and he is a hot button issue. He oh, sucks. Did you you were upset with his uh, his conciliatory, at least we are not all in re-education camps outside Pyongyang message about <laughs> meeting, <laughs> meeting the president. Yeah, I thought it was like if he wants to say some bullshit thing and go visit again, or just be like, I have to do it, or my bosses will fire me, or just like, yeah, the rickets are good with them. That's cool. Whatever, but his, like, this isn't a political statement. However, not visiting the White House is definitely a political statement. It's like, Joe, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Joe, Joe Madden, I, I had long loved Joe Madden. And Mark, because Mark has really bad taste in things. Like, uh, he hates Final Fantasy Seven. I don't hate it. It's just not anywhere near as good as you think it is. Oh, my God. And other things that are escaping me right now. Marvel's better um, than DC. The Simpsons oh are good. David, are The Simpsons good? Uh, they were good. Yeah. Yeah. Nick doesn't I mean, believe there was ever a time where they were in I, uh, Well, this is the thing will... with, with young people, right? I mean, he would have been like a, he would have been like eight years old when it was good. Well, and here's the other thing. Um, I don't find abusive parents funny at all. So it was very hard for me to be like, ha ha, he's choking his son to death. So I, I don't know if that's just me. I have honestly <laughs> never heard that angle on it. I, I completely understand and, and I honor your perspective, but... Uh... It's so weird because it's like I didn't realize it and then there's an episode where he's choking his son. And I'm like, oh, that's... That's what it is. That's why I don't like this show. So, yeah, Mark, uh, what were we talking about? You didn't like I, something the in there. The important thing is that Joe Madden sucks. <laughs> yes, that's what it was. I realized today that Joe Madden sucks. Sooner uh, or later, we're all going to wind up agreeing with Davy Johnson on Joe Madden. It's, that's like part of getting older. <laughs> we're going to see him as, as the weird wuss that Dave Johnson <laughs> was called him. <laughs> Yeah, that's the most accurate description I've ever heard for anyone ever. So, Mark, what did you think of it? What did you think of the women's money in the bank match? Uh, David, are you, do you know like the background of all this? Uh, you know, broadly speaking, I think I do. I mean, I know what the money in the bank match is, and it's this was you said Sasha Banks is a part of this. Not this time. This okay. time it was God. Oh, uh, Carmela. Carmela was the. Uh, she is from the Jersey Shore, at least plays someone from the Jersey Shore, and Long she Island. has... Long Island? Oh, th- same thing. No, man. Uh, no. It's not. I'm from Long Island. It's the same thing. I'm from New Jersey, and I really insist that it is <laughs> <laughs> not. But, uh, look, we're not going to get anywhere with this. Uh, although, two guys from New Jersey and Long Island being like, no, yeah, no, is a pretty good example of what... Well, uh, you know, why people uh, hate... No, our... you suck, pal. No, pal, you know what? <laughs> How about this? <laughs> you fucking suck. Yeah, the... Uh... No, anyway, go ahead. So I'm aware of what the match is. Tell me uh, what happened. So if they had the first ever women's match. That's oh, the first ever women's Money in the Bank match. And Which w... they explicitly sold as a historical <laughs> moment for women. That's important. So then they had a man take the briefcase down and hand it to a woman at the end. Um... And then, in broad strokes. He's not yeah. so much a man as... I don't know if you're familiar with... Wait, Rick, don't do that. Rick and Morty. <laughs> Let me finish. Uh, the episode where they go to the uh, couples therapy, and Beth, the mother, is a giant space monster, and Jerry is a worm. Uh, that's basically what James Ellsworth, the guy who got the briefcase, is, is like a human worm. So I, I think that it was there. In other words, I think that they did fuck up by having it happen this way but i don't think they thought of it because they don't project him as masculine in any way or feminine he's just this amorphous blob uh but there was a lot of kickback or pushback i should say what resulted was this makeup match basically do you think they did a good job at like solving all of the problems in the history of wwe with representation of women or i mean i already said earlier that that men and women are equal now in WWE. Okay. (laughs) But no, I think the result was right. The match was not good. You didn't like it? Yeah, the match was okay. I mean, it doesn't help that this kind of match... Like, they broke it up with commercials because they did it on regular TV, so that really screws with things, and they don't even do the picture-in-picture for main event matches. Um, 
it was fine. It wasn't like it's not a memorable Money in the Bank match, but I think by having Carmella win without James Ellsworth pulling down the briefcase, uh, you know, they, and after almost winning, when he did it again, yeah, at least this time uh, Becky knocked him off a ladder like Big Hog first into the ropes. <laughs> no little James Ellsworths no. running around, uh, which thank God. Uh, so yeah, I I think that was. Uh, like you said, it was an okay match. It wasn't anything to write home about, but I think they did a good job of having everything come out the way that they wanted to when they initially did the stupid booking. So I, I, I think it was a positive. I don't know. Um, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, but there is a real positive, which is that we finally have officially, after talking about it last week, a Punjabi prison match. Well, hold on, hold on. I just want to throw in one thing. It was great that Naomi just fucking murked Lana, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. That was wonderful. Uh, that was really, <laughs> really wonderful. Seconds. Okay. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I just didn't so want to the, let that get lost. So, uh, David. Yes. You uh, have edited pieces of mine about wrestling, and, and one of them I remember distinctly working with you on was about a sumo wrestling match between monster trucks. <laughs> I think that those, that's ringing some bells, although I guess it could also be... That seems like something I would dream as well. <laughs> that's hard to know. So, this isn't quite sumo wrestling monster trucks, but what a Punjabi prison match is, is it's a bamboo cage on the ring. And then there's another bigger bamboo cage outside of the ring, and the floor is lava. <laughs> the floor is not lava. Yes, it is. You have to jump from one to the other, don't you? The floor's not lava. I don't know. Uh, it's. I'm pretty sure it's lava. So what I guess what I wanted to talk about is, as someone who edits wrestling uh, or has edited wrestling in the past, the absurdity, how much of it permeates your brain. That level of absurdity where you're just like, I... I almost am compelled to see this in the way that I'm compelled to see like a really grotesque medical condition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly the idea, the the words Punjabi prison match has that kind of uh, that is is I think a good example of the sort of thing that does sort of break through that. Like broadly, I think like you know editing um, Ian Williams' stuff every week, which I haven't done for a little while, but like you know I still read it every week. Like I have some sense of what the the broader sort of storylines are and all that. But periodically there'll be stuff that. Um, wrestling fans know about and talk about as if it's a normal thing that everybody else would understand that just to me is like the purest avant-garde language <laughs> imaginable and the concepts of it are just like I mean it, the idea of like what you described to me is like that's a crazy thing the part of it that is more crazy to me than the thing you described even is the fact that you could just say those words to Mark and he'd be like mm -hmm, Punjabi prison match I see it <laughs> Like, I understand, I understand, I'm right there with you. Like, which is amazing to me, that there's, like, this whole other parallel uh, universe where everybody speaks in weird code about shirtless guys, like, powerbombing each other off of a, like, whatever, bamboo rack. Uh, so, last week, Mark hinted at what the match might be without mentioning any words, Punjabi prison, anything. Just said... They're coming out with what you think they might come out with. And I instantly knew that it was the Punjabi prison yeah, act. That's amazing that you have <laughs> rewired a, an otherwise functional brain. <laughs> 
that like it's just it goes right there and you're not even wrong like that is you're exactly you were right it's like for me as a wrestling fan who's also a big sports fan i look at something like i have trouble viewing things outside the context of wrestling like the the james harden chris paul trade today seems like a wrestling storyline where like Chris Paul is going to turn heel on James Harden at some point. Do you try to apply your normal understanding of sports narratives to wrestling? Or do you just assume the person writing knows about the nuances in such a way that you don't really have to worry about it? Like they've got it unless it just their copy doesn't make any sense to you. Uh, it, it's funny. Like there definitely were times with Ian where I would ask about stuff, uh, just because, like, you know, it would be the sentences are very, you know, they scan, they're in proper English, they just have, like, a few clear terms of art in them that just might as well be hieroglyphics to me. And, like, so a lot of it is this, like, reading context, like, the way that you would be sort of trying to, if someone was speaking a foreign language to you that you were, like, crappy at, like, it's the, if someone were to speak Italian to me, like, I got a C minus in Italian 12 years ago. Like, but I remember some words. You know, and so, like, basically, if I'm, like, if I can understand enough that, like, I know they're talking about ice cream, and I'm like, cool, I also, you know, I like ice cream. Like, all the other words in the sentence could be wrong, and I could be very wrong in that way of doing it. So sometimes you have to ask. But, I mean, I think the thing with with wrestling narratives that is, uh, that's actually easier for me to understand than, you know, anything that I would have gleaned from reading you know, years worth of wrestling articles is the fact that like broadly, it seems like it's spilled over well out of wrestling to the point where like a great deal of the things that are happening news wise, culturally, whatever, all have this kind of like wrestling valence to them. There's like that Jeremy Gordon piece about how like everything is wrestling now, which he wrote for the New York times like a few years ago. And like every single day, it seems more true to me. It's just like the bombast and the, like what you were saying to these ideas of like, narratives and counter narratives that sort of like overwhelm uh you know the actual like events as they exist like that's not just a wrestling thing anymore it's not even just a sports thing it's amazing how much the concept of heels and faces has bled into like every aspect of my life Mm -hmm. and it's like people who aren't into wrestling completely understand it um or they might not even know like what the origins are like we had charlotte wilder on uh, before WrestleMania, and she had never watched wrestling before ever, and didn't know anything about it. So, like, we we're trying to. We're just sorry, Charlotte. By the way, for <laughs> making you. It's okay. She's watching Glow right now, and she really likes it because she's like, "Wait, I understand <laughs> all of this now." But even telling her like heel and face were wrestling terms just blew her mind because like yeah, she, she understands definitely... what those words mean. Yeah, their usage is now like well outside of it. I think that's something that you know, just the general like the performativity is the academic word and I'm, so I'm probably not using it right but there's the way in which everything seems to have this element of like a public facing performance to it now in terms of just like anything that you watch that like element of artifice is like yeah I think wrestlers wrestling fans were like well ahead of everyone else in terms of being able to like process a world that happens like that well because we spend so much time talking about it on the internet like what's <laughs> real and what's fake and this idea of like piecing together narratives from what you've heard backstage and also understanding how that relates to the narrative that you're seeing in public, which for like the Trump administration is the most like 
the craziest thing for me as a wrestling fan is to be like they have this story that they're treating as like let's call it kayfabe and then they have all of these lakes that are like that's not actually what's happening backstage like that to me and i mean i literally wrote about this so it's it, it may be like kind of a little on the nose but like he trump is very much a wrestling heel in the sense that he understands that part of it is getting the crowd to hate you or the other person mm-hmm. yeah and there's certainly that like that dedication that like blank like not immoral but like obje- like amoral dedication to like heat as an idea you know that just like constant interest constantly like you have to get over no matter what it takes to do it no matter how many like stupid fucking lies or bumps you have to take or whatever like that is uh i mean again it's uh kind of damaging out of the wrestling context but again it does sort of prepare you for uh rips asunder the fabric of our democracy but other than, yeah, that... That's, other than that though you can't say it doesn't work except for that <laughs> except for the thing that you just said there was a great uh, there's a great article at Paste that was uh, basically about like socialist wrestling, like what if wrestling was socialist? And, and I think, well, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It just it's amazing how you realize like how much of this stuff is intertwined with real life, or easily understood through the lens of real life, uh, and vice versa. How you can understand real life through the lens of wrestling. Just seeing something like that, where you're like, how could how could wrestling be socialist? And it's like, oh, there's literally fifteen hundred words about how it, and I how it could be that way. And I understand every one of them and what's wrong with my brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird though. That part of it, again, those are, I've Lord knows edited more than a few uh, such stories that are making that very comparison. And it is, it, I'll tell you, it does not seem like a stretch to me. The idea of it is like sort of a popular theater that exists, you know, like in a much closer relationship to its audience than, you know, movies or episodic television or any of that other stuff does. That, like, you know, from there, it's, like, obviously there's more than one way to be populist, but there's certainly a way in which that cuts left just, you know, even outside of the politics, just the style of it is such that it it feels that way. David? Yes? When The Rock and John Cena are the two candidates for president, Mm. who are you voting for? I mean... What parties are they affiliated with here? Not to not to make this too partisan. Uh, I feel like The Rock is is a Republican, right? Yeah, I, he I, used to be a Republican. John... He's registered as an Independent now. I do not know if that's because he was pushed from the Republicans. Because I mean, he doesn't like Trump, uh, okay. but um, I don't know if that makes him like an Arnold Schwarzenegger Republican or if he's being an Independent now because he's the biggest movie star in the world and it's much easier for him to be in the middle. Yeah, like the whatever democrats buy shoes too except for in this case it's pay-per-views and tickets to whatever the magical island two (laughs) whatever it is he's up to uh it's funny i cena is one of those guys where i've like i edited a piece by nate patron where like i've heard him rap like more than once i have read about how bad he is and i've read about how actually he's good and (laughs) whereas the rock is the sort of thing where like i really actually have not read as much about him i mean i'm more familiar with him because i uh you know i've never seen i should say that i've never seen a fast and furious movie any of them uh but i have seen other rock movies um more than enough i would say i'd probably be inclined to vote for the rock because i think he's more charismatic but I'd, i'd really like to hear where they stand on the issues well john cena is running on hustle loyalty and respect Mm -hmm. while uh, The Rock would probably run on casual misogyny and mild homophobia. Well, no, if he runs as Dwayne Johnson, 
Oh, if he runs as Dwayne Johnson, aspirational masculinity. Aspirational yeah, masculinity. But, if run, but if he runs as the Rock, he has to remind you constantly, he is straight. And he loves straight sex. <laughs> With girls mm. and boobies. That's pretty yeah. much... The Rock and Dwayne Johnson are very different people. Literally uh, couldn't be more different. I remember when I was in college, uh, there were this was like around the beginning, my senior year was around the beginning of uh, The Rock's big breakthrough. And he his book, like his or whatever his like as told to book or something came out the same around the same time as McFoley's book. And I and another guy on the college newspaper, he read the Rock book and I read the McFoley book and they had a conversation about it. And I got done reading the McFoley one and I was like, this guy actually is my dad now and I'm going to I'm going to live with him and he's going to teach me how to be like him. And I can't wait to get started. And he like my buddy hated the Rocks book. Like it was, it was just like it's the most like beyond being like artless and stupid in the way that like you'd expect those books to be. He's like this guy's a fucking turd. Like, and <laughs> I think you know, like I think now like that's a guy that I know has seen and enjoyed Fast and Furious movies. So I'm sure that he has at the very least revised his opinion somewhat. I mean, honestly, the answer to your question is that I would uh, probably be out there knocking on doors for Mick Foley, <laughs> whether he wanted to win, uh, run or not. But I need to know Mick Foley's opinion on uh healing via crystal and yeah then... <laughs> it's like he's right on you know like a lot of the social issues that matter to me like healing via crystal <laughs> and <laughs> he seems like a very nice man though like i uh and man that book is really i actually recommend it i don't um remember which one it is it's like the mankind book but there's a lot of like really crazy stories in there that are just like just you know, uh, no character stuff, which I guess was his character, was having no character. Uh, you know, at, at least as Mick Foley. But, like, yeah, like, kind of harrowing shit, honestly, for an, an innocent normie sports brain like mine. <laughs> like, why would they use barbed wire for that? That's terrible. It's very dangerous. Did he write about the explosives? Yeah, you certainly wrote about the explosives. And, like, the <laughs> aftermath of the explosives. Ugh. And losing his ear and a bunch of crazy shit like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, thumbtacks involved in one of these things. Yeah, the stuff that, that he... Yeah, it's kind of amazing that he came out of... Honestly, like, if crystal healing is the weirdest thing he believes now after all those years of that, like, that <laughs> is a miracle. <laughs> in and of itself. Yeah, like, he should be, like, completely haunted, like, Klaus Kinski last act of a Werner Herzog movie, just, like, <laughs> floating down a river to his doom on a raft. Like, that's, <laughs> honestly, that is the mentality that he should have after, like, all the extreme matches he did in Japan. Yeah, I am, he's one of those guys where I'm very happy that he's, you know, still with us, unlike, I mean, WWE won't let him wrestle anymore, which is great, and uh, he tried after they let him go a while ago. Um, yeah, they, that's something that I, again, like, from my outsider perspective of it, like, there's definitely, like, when they were, like, like Sting came back and stuff like that, and part of me is just, like, these guys are 50-odd years old, man, like, just don't. Like, I know people love them, but, like, somebody's got to stand up and tell this guy he doesn't need to get thrown through a table, right? What's weird is, I, like, Jerry Lawler, WWE won't let him wrestle anymore because he literally had a heart attack in the middle of the ring. <laughs> is um, he pushing back against that? Oh, he has, he owns his own company, so he still wrestles. And he's like, set, he's in his 60s, and he's like setting people on fire on weekends, just like, like a side <laughs> I'm not even kidding, like, that is a thing that Jerry Lawler, that Lawler does. He sets his opponents on fire. Uh, Lawler also... Are they, are they great balls of fire, Mark? <laughs> That's the name of the oh next pay-per-view. And Jerry Lee Lewis and Jerry Lawler have the same 
Wire, which is why that's the name of the pay-per-view. Well, no, it was the name of the pay-per-view, and then Jerry Lee Lewis was pissed about it. So he got in touch oh, with that's, his Sorry, lawyer. that's why it's the theme song of yeah. the pay-per-view. Great Balls of Fire song. And they have to call it Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view on television every time. It's just, every time. It's this amazing, goofy fucking thing. It's and the, they're I like, mean, yeah, we're just going to keep using this branding in the future, too. We like it. That's also fantastic about... The I mean again I guess there's some gross elements of it too but something that I've always like admired about wrestling is the fact that like it still is like for all the money that it makes like these guys are still just like carny dirtbags like trading <laughs> favors and like you know just like whatever like pantsing each other for each other's amusement backstage and so like they're just like weird children like from oh yeah they're like theater kids and because I have fr- I have a friend who is a professional wrestler at uh, the same company that, like, some of the current wrestlers in the WWE have come through. So, like, and you talk to those kids, and a lot of them are kids. They're in their mid-20s, early to mid-20s. They are just athletes who were also theater kids. Like, that is almost to a person the type of people you're dealing with, especially now. It used to be just, like, guys that blew out their knee and couldn't play football anymore. Now it's people who have wanted their entire life to become a professional wrestler and have watched every professional wrestling thing you've ever seen and read every book and happen to be pretty good athletes. It's it that that dynamic has changed a lot. Yeah, there's actually something kind of funny about that too. I wonder how I mean you guys would be I'd be interested in hearing what you think about this cuz like they to go back to the Simpsons, I think that the decline of that show which we're now like I don't even know I haven't watched it in you know, 15 We're years, probably 20 years into the, yeah, I mean, it's seriously ridiculous that you can say stuff like that, but it's like, yeah, it probably has been about that long. Uh, but that like, I think the decline of it in part, I mean, it's just, you know, the best writers leave cause that's like how it is, but it started at this point. It's like clearly being written by people that grew up wanting to write for the Simpsons. And I think that there's been like that element of, uh, like self-referentiality or like you can get so wrapped up in that that you sort of like forget to make jokes you know, that you're just kind of, like, constantly nodding at, like, the fan service element of it. And with wrestling, there's something about that, too. The idea that, like, these guys are people that are doing it now are, like, ex-super fans who, who are constantly, you know, sort of, like, winking at the audience and re- referencing, you know, different things. And I'd imagine that that can get in the way of the actual, like, delivery of goods. Well, I think... That they have, at least for the WWE, I I can't, Mark would be able to speak better for other uh, companies, but at least in the WWE, there's much more of like a a controlled creative process that prevents them from doing too much inside baseball. But part of it is also like the wrestling that used to happen was kind of like watching stuff on like eight millimeter film. And now it's kind of like, oh, we have digital cameras and we can actually make this stuff look nice. Like the level of talent involved and the level of planning involved and the level of just development from uh, like the Performance Center and NXT and on the indies to when you actually end up being a star that's on television is so much more involved that I think that they do a good job of avoiding most of the pitfalls involved with that, if not all of the pitfalls involved with that. It's weird hearing you say, like, because it's obviously such a big thing, but I, I forget I forget who tweeted it, but someone talked about how, and this ties into the Carney shit, like, all of the wrestling that we watch, essentially, like, like the most people watch, uh, all of the weird decisions made are just, like, at the whim of two old dudes. Just two. <laughs> yeah. Like, all the fucking WWE shit that if you love it or you hate it, it's just whatever Vince McMahon is feeling that day. 
and New Japan, I think it's New Japan also. It's like whatever whatever their old dude is thinking that day. Like that's all these decisions that affect the largest percentage of wrestling fans, you know, worldwide. It's frustrating. But that, I mean, again, that's one of those things that kind of like scans as uh, like, a you know, sort of if you want it to read in parallel to like the broader world in a depressing way, like you can absolutely do that. It's not even hard. You know, like I'm not going to do it here because we're all having we're having fun with the podcast. <laughs> But yeah, there's something about that that is kind of like that stifling of the broader creativity of it is it's frustrating too because I, that's the other thing that I you know I have gathered from reading this stuff and then even from you know whatever you got to watch videos to embed in the pieces so that's like how I see most of the wrestling that I see <laughs> and uh, like those it, I mean it really is remarkably like sophisticated in terms of the the performance quality and the you know the physicality of it relative to the stuff that. I grew up watching, which really was just like kind of like soft, fat guys, like screaming, and then they're like oiled up, and then they just kind of like flop around on each other. Like it's so like the um, I'm going to say his name wrong, but like Finn Balor, Balor, you got it. Like that guy is like I don't you know just from somebody who's like again I've had to like embed some videos like that is. The stuff that he does is crazy. The stuff that, like, AJ Styles does is fucking crazy relative to the stuff that I saw when I was a kid. Like, they're not, except for the fact that the same people are enriched by them damaging their bodies while they're doing it. It's, like, it's effectively something entirely different to me. You know, the most oh. the most unschooled eye imaginable, but it's just, like... As a wrestling fan, even my dad watching, uh, I watch with him a decent amount, uh, him just, like, seeing guys like AJ Styles and his initial reaction just being like, who is this guy? Because he grew up with guys that were six foot five and 280 pounds and were just kind of lying on each other, like you said. To see someone like AJ Styles, like, blew his mind for the first time. Like, what is this guy doing? I've never seen wrestling like this before, and I've been watching it for 50 years. And now you've got the six foot five, two hundred eighty pound guys can also climb to the top rope and spin around, you know, four hundred fifty degrees for some reason. Yeah, it's like the LeBron thing that, like, sooner or later, I imagine you just sort of get used to it in the same way that, like, the fact that LeBron James is physically is the same size as Karl Malone, (laughs) which is an insane thing to, and yet, like, you know, he plays the way he plays. Former wrestler Karl Malone. Former wrestler, yeah, WWE legend. Uh, or at least I think he wore a hat in the ring and like wanted to actually wrestle, right? Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman, both in WCW. Dennis, Dennis, Rodman, Rodman. Dennis Rodman still has a broken character. Like he's like basically got stuck in a promo. That in, dude like, worked himself into a shoot. It's <laughs> worked his whole life. It's a fucking work shoot. Ugh. Yeah, the, but uh, actually, I will say this about Dennis Rodman. Actually, if he would have trained, probably been and Karl Malone too. Both would have been good wrestlers. I mean, he was yeah. he was tag team partners with Hulk Hogan, which made Dennis Rodman the best wrestler on that team. <laughs> uh, second best plaintiff, though. Yeah, arguably the best person on the team. That's gonna suck when we get sued for that line. Yeah. Ah oh, man, it's, it's gonna, gonna be terrible. It. He's gonna show us pictures of his. Never mind. Uh... Where's that pizza, brother? <laughs> about pythons but it just <laughs> oh you god <laughs> old sad <laughs> old sad pythons my about dick. <laughs> thanks thanks I, I didn't know you meant dick when you said python but that clears it up <laughs> you guys yeah, talking I... about dicks <laughs> sure are all right cool i'm in <laughs> yeah, it's the same show every week. We just this is actually that's what Rudo means in Spanish. Uh, <laughs> Mark, you you said you wanted to talk to him, Mark, uh, Dave, about something, and now it totally escapes me. Uh, oh, the fashion police. 
Oh, fast. Oh, my God. David. Which is along the same lines of what you're talking about uh, in terms of a thing that they're producing that is extraordinarily self-referential but totally works because it's done in a way that it works on multiple levels. Uh, So basically, uh, Mark, you might be better at explaining. It started out, it was the Fashion Files, and they did, there's this team. It's Tyler Breeze and Fondango. He's a male motto. He's He's basically Zoolander. And uh, Fondango is just like a dancer. Who, I mean, he looks like he just came from Chippendales and all that. These two guys are, like, serious comedians. They're real, real funny. Their delivery is amazing. And they decided that they were going to form a police squad that, uh, you know, arrested people for crimes of fashion. <laughs> In so, wrestling, which happens a lot. There are a lot of fanny packs. And this is a part of the average broadcast? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is their own, like, the Tuesday show, and... So they have these little, like, three to five minute, uh, like, mini episodes of them. They're just pre-taped things. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're skits. And, like, each one is the best, you know, it would have been the best sketch on Saturday Night Live that week, essentially. Wow. Um, but they, they started out doing, like, Law & Order parodies, where they had the music and, like, zooming in on the, you know, the police station and all that. And then they went to, like, a noir detective kind of vibe, and they put them in black and white. And it, everyone was very aware of being in black and white. So, like, when new people walked in, on, like, on screen, they're like, Wait, black and white now. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of fourth wall breaking. Yeah. And now they're doing fashion vice. And so, this is the thing that they're, like, allowed to do, yeah. like, nobody in the, like, whoever. I'm assuming that, like, the McMahons or whoever is in charge of this are just sort of, like, they don't get it. But they're like, whatever, knock yourselves out. Like, you have yeah. five minutes. Yeah, they're exactly. like, okay. This is insane, but we don't understand any of it, but people seem to be responding positively, so keep keep doing it? Yeah, so, like, when you talk about, like, creatively being stifled, I think that is true to a certain extent with someone like an underdog type of character who wants to be in the main event. But in terms of guys who, like, are in the mid-card or who are trying to, like, establish themselves in some way... They are allowed to, if it catches on, do a lot more stuff. And at least for the fashion files, what's particularly interesting is the just piles of inside jokes that they have on the show all of the time. Just there will be like exchanges where they're doing Michael Jackson song names. There's stuff where like they have these, you know, like the murder boards on a like a, a castle or something like that. Mm-hmm. They'll have pictures of like. Sami Zayn, and it will say generic under it. And Sami Zayn used to be a wrestler whose name was El Generico. Like they and he do, wore a mask. and he wore a mask. And they're like, there's all of these kind of jokes. If you look at you, like stop and look at the board. It's like this giant pile of inside wrestling jokes. But it also works as just like a parody of these two. It's like if Zoolander got mixed up with Miami Vice, like, and happened on a wrestling show. Does that make sense? Like, that's the kind of stuff they're doing. Make sense isn't the word I would use necessarily to describe <laughs> what you just described, but yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm getting it. And what's, I mean, you can kind of tell based on the level of jokes and how well, how often they hit that, like, the regular writers aren't the ones doing all of this. Like, they might be helping to a degree, but it's clearly, like, these guys putting it together. Um, I mean, they had they already had a project where uh, you might have you might have seen this. They did Southpaw Regional Wrestling, and it was just like a short YouTube series. It was like three videos, maybe four. Um, and they just they pretended to be like a, a failing wrestling promotion in 1987, trying to make trying to like 
promote their last show. Um, oh, what was it? Uh, Lethal Leap Year, I think. <laughs> uh, except 1987 doesn't have a leap day on it, and they scheduled it for that day. So, like, the whole thing killed the company. Uh, but it's just these characters that these that guys do backstage. That's a more, like, spinal tappy joke than I was expecting from this. That is- <laughs> oh, it's the most spinal tap. But not in a way that's, like, over... Oh, they're just doing a spinal tap parody. It's, like, just a perfectly... A pitch-perfect, really shitty... Like, if you watch Smoky Mountain Wrestling and you were to watch Southpaw Regional Wrestling, it would be the same thing, but Smoky Mountain Wrestling was a totally real thing that happened in the early 90s. Like, <laughs> so, so they let these guys do... Like, just a bunch of the wrestlers, like, let them be these characters that they already had, like, created in their head. These weird 1980s-style characters. Uh, and WWE's only interference with it was essentially they were like, let's call someone to sponsor it, and so we can make money off of it. And So they, so put they made it, it like, a KFC commercial. Yeah, so there's, a, there's, like, a bumper for it with a commercial where Ric Flair is doing a voiceover, inviting people to come to the local KFC... So that they can meet the wrestlers of South Park Regional Wrestling and also have, like, the uh, the Georgia Gold Chicken or whatever. <laughs> and that's it. Like, but it's it's them. If they can make money doing something, I will say this about the WWE, and it, even, if it's, even if it's funny, they will do it just to make money. They, they are money first, whatever second. But they understand that part of making money is allowing creative people to do creative things. Uh, whether so, it be in the they're re- so dedicated to money that they will like basically take a completely like null set approach to that and just be like, whatever, man, if it works, like it makes yeah. money, therefore it is good. Like so it doesn't matter how weird it is or how Yeah. yeah. I mean I they're... guess if if that points if it has uh, the effect of like freeing people to do weird stuff, then I guess it's kinda hard to say that it, you know, is bad. Yeah, there are weird. There's like a lot of different complaints about Vince McMahon and how like stifling he is creatively. But like Nick said, it's a lot of people saying like, "Oh, I should be, I should be here on the card." Uh, that's that's really where he stops people. But you also hear a lot of stories about if you go to Vince with an idea, he will listen to it. Like you just have to sell him on it. It's like anything else. So how so, is it that guys wind up getting like exiled though? Like good wrestlers wind up. Uh... Like, sort of, either, like, because this was um, something I remember reading about that Ian had written about, like, guys that sort of, like, fell off the pace. I guess maybe, or, like, AJ Styles, I think, was one of those guys where it just, like, it didn't happen for him in the promotion. And then he, like, went abroad and went, you know, whatever, to the one of the other um, promotions and, like, was recognized as, like, the greatest wrestler alive. But it was, like, somehow when he was with WWE, it just didn't, it didn't pop for him. Yeah. So, like... At least with AJ Styles, he was a small guy. He is a small guy, or he's an average-sized human being. He's not some sort of, like, monstro- Grecian monstrosity. Um, Which is still Vince's ha- preference, yeah? Right? The yeah. Legs. He is much more look-blind than he used to. Like, aesthetically, he's just whatever gets over is, is much more the case now than it was even, like, two or three years ago. Uh, because of Daniel Bryan, very specifically. It was like, oh my god, whatever gets over gets over. He just mm-hmm. knows it's much easier for a guy who's six foot four to get over. Um, so what happened with a guy like AJ Styles is they, they try out. Because AJ Styles, I don't think, made it. He was very briefly in WWE. They had a very specific idea of what they wanted a performer to be that was going to be a main event guy. 
But WWE has a history of if you go abroad and make yourself into a star, they will bring you back for more money than you ever would have made beforehand because you've be- proven yourself somewhere else. And it's not the WWE, but it proves that you yourself, because the WWE has seems uh, has a tendency to think it makes stars. So if you, but if you're already a star, they will just strap a rocket to you if you do a good job when you first come in. Like AJ Styles came in and had a good match every single night he was on the card. So like they will give you the benefit of the doubt if you're successful somewhere else. But it was harder, especially back then, to work your way up into the any type of there was no path. Now you can work at NXT in the Performance Center and build your way to being a main event guy. But in the past, it was just like you had to hope somebody got hurt. To be able to like move up on the card, and the time AJ was looking for WWE was right when WCW folded after WWE bought it. So they had they had way more wrestlers than they had space for them. Yeah, which is how an entire new company was able to form out of the ashes of WCW because it was like, okay, all you guys can get you can have jobs again. Yeah, and they uh, called it TNA. Oh right, that's I knew that that's what it was. Right, total nonstop action. Yeah. Yes. Now they're, now they're impact wrestling because it's not, uh, it's not 2001. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, I always enjoyed that, that. Those were like, there's still some sense in which there's that like turn of the millennium like vibe to it with a lot of like X's on things. Like that's <laughs> still like wrestling is still kind of trapped in that. Like, well, and res- wrestling is like this weird nostalgia factory that like, constantly does lithographs of the stuff it's done, but with, like, slight slight tweaks to be like, oh, it's an original painting. Like, that's the best way I can describe some of the stuff WWE does. So, like, the Hardy Boys came back recently. And the Hardy Boys are literally just what they were 15 years ago, because that's what made... That's what makes money. They also still have a Z at the end of their name. Yeah, no, I know. That's... And they're... That, believe me, I've freaking read a good amount about those guys their whole thing is that they were always crazy but now they're not on drugs anymore and so they're like a little more in command of the narrative is that right yeah that's a very excellent way to put it that reading about the uh that um like the brother versus brother pay-per-view thing that they did like that was one of the final final deletion yeah like reading just like a recap of it like that we ran at the classical it was like 100 percent the like every bit of the sensation that you get being on drugs, except for like, I was at work. <laughs> it was 100% the same thing. We were just sort of like, and then he's like riding a riding mower around. And then the other guy's in a cape and he's upset. Uh, like, <laughs> just like, and Did you get to the part about the drones. That... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just, drones I just let it, party. at some point I just let it like wash over me. I've just, you know, I'm not going to be able to figure it out. I'm just going to make sure that, like, all the semicolons are in the right place, and I'm going to run this <laughs> fucker right up there. It's like, what else are you going to do? <laughs> but it was cool. I mean, that's like a, it's 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 like watching a, a foreign film with the subtitles off, you know? I, just kind of following the action. Is there anything other than the sheer commitment that prevents you from ever... It, it seems like you don't have any particular interest in watching, not in a bad way, but in, like, a you're almost like the interaction you have with it now and do you feel like it'd be ruined if you got more into it that's an interesting question um i don't i don't know it might be i think that like i find it interesting now and i do feel like it's just it's a commitment of time i think is mostly what it is that like i feel like my my car is significant right 
Yeah, yeah. right. Oh, I it's mean, five hours a week, not including pay-per-views, and not including pay-per-view weeks that are also takeover weeks, because then it's five plus another. It's ten hours of wrestling in four days. And you're tweeting the whole time, and then you got to talk about it with people after. It's just like, I mean, honestly, it's all I can do to, I mean, the Mets are a challenge for a bunch of reasons, but like, <laughs> you know, five of those games a week is like, I feel like, honestly, I need to lie down after. Like, the... But yeah, I mean, it is interesting because like there is certainly enough interest, in, you know, on my end, in just from reading about it, to make me want. Especially when people seem like they're excited about things. Like if I didn't have to pay for it, like the final deletion, seeing how pumped otherwise reasonable adults were about this <laughs> completely insane thing, there was definitely a part of me that wanted to uh, experience it for myself. But like I've also felt that way about like LSD. <laughs> <laughs> And at some point, you're just, uh, you know, you're a man in your late 30s. You got commitments. <laughs> it would be, it's, you know, I'm sure I'd be fine. But, uh, yeah, I don't really have five hours to dedicate to, like, hearing colors during the week. David, we have to get you to a show at some point. Just, yeah, just like, do that. Um, I think that's probably something that will happen. I mean, like, I know that Ian... Um, used to talk about that when I was editing him. He was like, you are so close, man. He's like, I'm just trying to write the column that makes you break down and watch like an actual show. And I feel like, you know, we almost got there. And then uh, I would sort of started doing more writing and less editing. And I was saved from that. <laughs> fate. Well, I, my, my friend, Mark uh, Masick once was like, he, we would always talk about wrestling on, on G chat. And it used to be like, I would compare things to wrestling and he'd be like, "Oh my god, I never thought about it that way." But he never really watched. And then he started watching, and now he's like a he's like a, I mean this in the sweetest way possible, like a junkie. Like I'll try <laughs> to talk to him about like, "Oh, have you watched?" He's like, "I only care about wrestling now. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I just need my fix of Elias Sampson." <laughs> Which is, I mean, whatever gets you through life is hard, you know. Like if that's what it takes, and that's what it takes. Oh, and I and I think um, do you? You talked about, like, relatively normal adults freaking out, or not freaking out, but, like, being pumped in a way that, like, is almost childlike, I guess. For me, that's what it felt like. When something exciting in wrestling happens, you feel like a kid. You're like, oh my god, I have to show people this. I'm just so excited. Yeah, you wrote a wonderful thing about that for the classical sometime back, about going to WrestleMania. WrestleMania, yeah. One of my favorite things you wrote. And that, it's definitely, I mean, I think that's, like, a broadly, a true feeling in any sports experience that works, right? I mean, the, just, the first 100%. experience you have of this stuff, when it really hits you and, and makes you want more of it, generally tends to be when you're a kid. And then as you get older and feel older and more stressed, anything that can jog you back to that particular uncomplicated feeling is... I mean, this is why I don't judge most people's, you know, whatever sports kinks or entertainment kicks or whatever, for the most part, as long as it's not hurting anybody, it's, like I said, like life is fucking hard, man. Like if anything that makes you feel that way reliably, like to feel happy in that uncomplicated way, like if it works for you, it works for you. I could not be more like adamant about that. Yeah. And I think Mark and I don't know how Mark feels, but for me, wrestling is a safe space. It's kind of like something I have every week that I can just enjoy that I know the ins and outs of, but it's there for me to watch when I want. Like, it's just a nice thing to have. Like, do you feel the same way, Mark? That's why it's so infuriating if it doesn't go well. Uh, or if you watch for three hours and you're like, oh, my God, that episode was so bad. This was supposed to be my happy time. Right. 
That's the, uh, I mean, and this is, that goes back to the stuff that you were saying before too, about the idea of like one or two old guys, like calling all the shots on this stuff. Right? It's like, you know, you spend your whole day reckoning with that sort of shit. Most of the time, like nothing against the people that run either of our companies or whatever, who in both cases, you know, I've, I've worked for both fine guys. It's just, you know, at some point that's the, the world that we live in. Like the more that your escapism reminds you of what it is you're trying to escape, like then it is, it is failing and it is failing you. And it's, uh, yeah, I certainly understand being upset about that. Yeah, especially, and that's why I think money, the, the money in the bank thing we talked about at the beginning of the episode was such like a big deal. Because it was like, we've trusted you to not, we've given you the trust that we never should have given you about the women's division, which for a very long time you made, where it was just like this misogynist shit twister. I, is that a fair assessment of it, Mark? I, I mean, dude, you know, roll with it, go. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think what happened was, is we went, you promised us you'd never be that person again. And the WWE was that person again, if even for a fleeting moment, or it felt like that's what they were doing. It was almost like they fell off the wagon. And it was really disappointing to a lot of people to watch that happen in a way that it's, you can see it every six months or so. There's this big explosion of just like, you promised us this thing and then took it away from us in a way that breaks the social contract that we've agreed on, that you're allowed to pull certain things out from under me, but not this. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other side of it where, man, like, you get your Daniel Bryan moment at WrestleMania 30, where he wins two matches on at WrestleMania, and one of them's against a guy who runs the company, and the other one is for the world title. And everyone just loses their minds with joy, like just collective joy. It's, it's. I mean, it's like a team winning the World Series after you know you follow them so long, and it's not always great, but like you stuck with it. Um, and there's like Bailey winning at NXT Takeover, the first huge show they did at Brooklyn, like sold out arena for their minor league place. You know, it's like it's like a minor league team going to Yankee Stadium and selling it out, and then just winning this huge event. Uh, and man, just like my baby who is in the yeah, other room crying say, right now. You sound upset. Is there something wrong? <laughs> but no, like those those moments move you to tears. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Excellent. It was wonderful timing. Yeah. That's what I was working for. I hope my baby's okay. Yeah. Do you need to check on your baby? Uh, yeah. Give me one second. All right. I'm holding a baby right now. Oh, so. cool. She sounds much quieter and happier. Yeah. Yeah. Gave her uh, a pass. She's trying to pull my headphones off, but you know. Rude. She loves wrestling. I'll tell you that. It's the, bright, it's the bright colors and the sounds, so... Um, and, and that, I think, actually is a perspective that you can carry through for the entirety of your days. It's time-tested. Yeah. Before we went, we wanted to talk about, along these same lines, what's it like when something on ha happens in wrestling and you realize you follow almost all of wrestling Twitter? Oh my gosh, and not even for the fact that they're on wrestling Twitter? It's yeah, they're, like, also on baseball and basketball Twitter. <laughs> it's, there's something kind of cool about it just experientially, because I don't use, uh, like, tweet deck filters or any of this stuff. Like, I just, I follow a lot of people, and when I'm looking at my timeline, it's just, like, choosing to step in front of a fire hose. But, like, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm in it for the cascade, man. And you can definitely tell when something's happening. But it does, it has that kind of, like, again, it's all a matter of context cues. You know, and sometimes it's <laughs> yes, really not it very helpful because it's just, you know, a million people being like, no way. Like, and other people <laughs> being like, fuck you, seriously. And I don't, you know, that could be anything. Like, was there 
<laughs> like you can generally tell it's wrestling because of it's you know the thing there's people that spend most of their time writing about like macroeconomics or suddenly cursing <laughs> but the uh yeah it's there's something kind of fun about that about the detective work we're trying to figure out uh, what it is it even is as a though. wrestling fan you'll be like well, what what happened I, I i stepped out of the room did yeah. someone die it's there's really so many times I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, New Japan must be on <laughs> because it's seven o'clock in the morning and people are like are screaming, screaming in all caps. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. The It's more so, too, than, you know, any of the other sports that people tend to feel moved to tweet during, you know, like basketball Twitter is, you know, everybody's watching the same thing. And certainly by the end of the year, everybody's watching the same game, you know, which is really similar to what you get from wrestling and just the dynamic of it is so different because it's. There's this combination of that, you know, whatever, like shrieking, all caps, fanboying, like marking out, I believe is the term that, that you would use for it. And then also there's that like analysis in real time from people that are never serious about anything. You know, like people <laughs> that are like professional comedians that are out there mostly like tweeting jokes and like trying to get like Gene Simmons to block them. And then suddenly they're like, I don't actually think that that writing uh, really did any of the wrestlers any favors. <laughs> oh, so true. Yeah. Like, which is crazy. But again, at the same time, it's a, a testament to the power of it. If it makes people that, you know, like otherwise are constantly tweeting, you know, love to <laughs> whatever fill in the blank, like to suddenly sober up and get like real serious about something. then it's clearly, <laughs> There's something powerful at work there. I love the parts of Twitter that still don't realize what day wrestling is on, usually. Mm -hmm. So, like, there'll oh, yeah, be a pay-per-view like, on a Sunday, and then on a Monday, they're like, there's fucking wrestling on again? I'm like, yeah, every Monday for the last 30 <laughs> years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you do not get the right to complain about it, honestly. Like, this is the thing about it, too. I mean, I, th there's definitely, you know, I, on balance, I like Twitter very much, um, although I know that it's bad for me and insanely stupid. Uh, and definitely has damaged my my brain and socialized just broader my social skills. The, I lie. Yeah, no, I mean, there's nothing there, and I don't think it's just me either, uh, although maybe it's especially me. Sad <laughs> exclamation point. Yeah, but I do think that the idea of, like, getting mad that the people you follow are tweeting about wrestling is, you know, like, then you should close the tab. You know, like, this is, <laughs> they're there for, you know, whatever, you... you in for a penny, in for a pound. Like, if you like the stupid jokes or macroeconomics, then, like, you have to deal with the fact that they also are, you know, whatever, going to get very excited whenever Daniel Bryan shows up on their TVs. I lost a lot of followers when I left Over the Monster. Because um, I was just like, they didn't unfollow me until I said I was going to spend that time writing about wrestling. Mm -hmm. And then I just, I lost, I don't know, just immediately, like, dozens of people. Yeah. It's, Fuck it, this. It's like, I feel like there's something like in some ways like wrestling is more than any time in in my life that i can remember that it is more mainstream and more sort of normalized and yet at the same time like yeah i mean if if you're in it for the xander bogart's takes and then you just suddenly those have been replaced <laughs> one for one with wrestling then, shit then yeah like that would be that would be an issue for some people i can see that those hot hot bogart's takes you gotta get the bogart's i need it so uh, I think this is as good as time as any to uh, mosey on down the road, uh, especially because the next question I'm going to ask is, Mark, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, which we were just talking about. How about that? Nice. Ah. Hey, 
I, it's almost like I planned it that way. Poorly. Poorly, but I planned it. <laughs> I'll buy that. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Mark underscore Normandon. That is Mark with a C. You can find my wrestling writing at uh, cagesideseats.com uh, around pay-per-view uh, around pay-per-view times, which the next one is Great Balls of Fire. And it's not Sunday. The logo looks like a dick. Um, it, Mark, it doesn't look like a dick. It, it is big. a dick. <laughs> so they, they like Photoshop. They, they adjusted the logo ever so slightly. So there's like less dick protrusion at, yeah, the edge, at the end of it, but the balls are still clearly there um, and they are very much on fire. Less totally dick protrusion, sure. but still enough dick protrusion. Yeah. <laughs> so you know there are balls. You're just not quite as sure about the dick anymore. Yeah, they're playing just the tip, but with the logo. <laughs> So anyway, uh, when that's happening, you can find more wrestling writing at SBNation.com slash wrestling, which is pretty convenient and easy to remember, I guess. And David, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter as well, as discussed earlier, uh, at David underscore J underscore Roth. And you can find my writing at Vice Sports, sports sports.vice.com. And you can check me out on Twitter at the Nixter, that is T-H-E. N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R and uh, Asuka. I will be the last woman standing after tonight, so good luck with all that. Oh, she's gonna she's gonna murk me. It's not gonna be pretty. She's gonna kick my head off. Uh, so you can check us out on SoundCloud.com SoundCloud.com slash Rudo Radio. That's R-U-D-O R-A-D-I-O You can also rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh... For those of you who do not have a review that you can think of, I believe our guest has one. David, a re- do you have a review? Uh, Something. Um, it was tangy. <laughs> it was tangy. Is that like copyright tangy or just the taste? Uh, the general the taste. It had notes of tang. Okay. Thank you. Um, hey, thank you for asking. <laughs> and I guess if there's nothing left to say... The only thing left to say is bye. Thanks. Bye.